inspiration. Turn up the motivation. You're on the Ziggler Inspire Podcast. Zig Ziggler wants you to be your best. Welcome to Zig Ziggler's Inspire Podcast. This is your host, Blake Lindsay. Get ready to get inspired again today. Zig Ziggler recorded a bunch of great Sunday school lessons, and we found another great one for you today. He begins by telling a story that shows us that maybe where we are in life is not exactly our fault. Turn it up, and I'll show you what I'm talking about. Let's listen to Zig together. Today, we're going to continue. This is number eight in our series, Winning with a Balanced Life. And the title of today's session is, Maybe It's Not Your Fault. Let's take a look at kids as they grow up and see what we can learn from them. Uh, First of all, uh, here's what a seven-year-old said. I've learned that I like my teacher because she cries when we sing Silent Night. (laughs) I've learned that you can't hide a piece of broccoli in a glass of milk. That was a (laughs) seven-year-old also. I've learned that when I wave to people in the country, they stop what they're doing and wave back. This was from a 13-year-old. I've learned that just when I get my room the way I like it, Mom makes me clean it up. Okay. (laughs) Oh, and this one, 13 years old. I've learned that if you want to cheer yourself up, you should try cheering someone else up. Psychologically, that is right on the button. Age 15. I've learned that although it's hard to admit it, I'm secretly glad my parents are strict. Isn't that something? And those are words of wisdom, uh, some of them coming from our kids, and we do need uh, to listen sometimes. But, of course, my thought is they must have wonderful parents because those are things that definitely are learned. Uh, Now, I want to read something to you that... uh, If you uh, want to join the poorest of the poor in the third world, here's what you would have to do. Remove the furniture in your home, leaving only a few old blankets, a kitchen table, and a wooden chair. Remember, you've never had a bed. Throw out your clothes. Each family member may keep his or her oldest suit or dress and shirt or blouse. The head of the family may keep his or her shoes. No kitchen appliances allowed. Keep a box of matches, a small bag of flour, some sugar and salt, a few onions, and a dish of dried beans. Rescue the moldy potatoes from the garbage can. They're tonight's meal. Dismantle the bedroom, shut off the running water, and take out the wiring, the lights, and everything that's run by electricity. Take away the house and move the family into the tool shed, Note that the neighborhood doesn't have houses anymore, just shanties, and those are for the fortunate. Cancel the newspaper and magazine subscriptions and throw out your books. You won't miss them because you are illiterate. No radio or TV either. No more mail carrier, firefighters, or government services. The two-classroom school is three miles away. No hospital or doctor. The closest clinic is 10 miles away with the midwife in charge. Get there by bus or bicycle if you have one. Throw out your bank books, stock certificates, pension plans, and insurance policies. Your net worth is $5. Start cultivating your three acres of land. Try hard to raise $300 in cash crops, of which your landlord gets one-third and your money lender 10%. Find a way for your children to bring in a little money so that you have something to eat most days. However, it won't be enough to keep you healthy, So lop off 25 to 30 years 
of your life. Did you know that our paper carriers in America earn more money than uh, two-thirds of all the working people in the world who have full-time jobs? Sometimes we forget, don't we? And I think it's important on occasion that we remind ourselves that here in this great country of ours, we have tremendous numbers of things to be enormously excited about. One of the things that uh, we need to get excited about not only is to have electricity, but to have the foresight to plug in uh, all the electrical equipment so that when you get ready to use it, uh, it's there to be used. And so that's what we will do at uh, this point. Now, as we were saying uh, uh, years and years ago, I heard a philosopher say, you are where you are because that's exactly where you want to be. Now, because I'm philosophically inclined and I wanted to sound philosophical, this was in the early days of my speaking career, I proceeded to tell audiences those words. You're where you are because that's exactly where you want to be. And I would put that knowing expression on my face, you know, and people would nod in agreement. Yep, that's exactly right. And then one night, I was on my way from Birmingham, Alabama to Meridian, Mississippi for a speaking engagement. The roads were under repair. It was imperative that I get there. I stopped at a service station to get directions. And uh, the young man not only gave me meticulous directions, but he was kind enough to draw me a map. I followed the map exactly as he had laid it out. And one hour later, I was 45 miles further from Meridian than I had been when I got the directions. Now, folks, I'm here to tell you, I was not there because that's where I wanted to be. I was, I was tired. I wanted to go to bed. I wanted to get a little uh, sleep that night. I was there because somebody had given me wrong directions. Maybe, just maybe, that you're not exactly where you want to be because you have been taking and listening to the wrong set of instructions, the wrong directions. Now, you can use that for a moment of comfort as to your situation today. But understand, we now have choices and we can choose what we want to believe and what we want to do. But if you are broke and unemployed and unhappy with your life, I can't believe that's where you want to be. I have never yet met an individual that what I really want to be is miserable. I want all the trouble that anybody can send to me, you know. Nobody ever feels that way. And let me simply say this to you. We need to remember some things before we chastise ourselves if we don't have, uh, you know, if we're not in the position we want to be. Remember, Sir Edmund Hillary didn't climb Mount Everest the first time he tried. Abraham Lincoln failed two-thirds of all the major objectives he attempted uh, to reach. Thomas Edison failed thousands of more times in seeking an invention than he did in succeeded in finding one. You see, failure is an event. It is not a person. Yesterday really did end last night. Today I'd like to tell you about three thieves that I know. The one is a man named Emmanuel Ninger. Go back with me into the year 1887. An elderly gentleman is in a grocery store buying some turnip greens. And the clerk wrapped the turnip greens, which were wet, in uh, the paper that they used in those days. 
Emmanuel Linger gave her a $20 bill, and as the clerk took the $20 bill, she noticed some of the ink had come off on her fingers. She was a little concerned about this, but after all, this was Emmanuel Linger, a neighbor, a customer, a friend for many years. She knew there's no way that he would be giving her a $20 bill that was not uh, genuine. And yet, you know, in 1887, $20 was an awful lot of money. She gave him his change, but then she got in touch with the police. They came out. One of them looked at it and said, man, I wish I had a thousand of them. The other one said, uh, well, I don't know about that. Well, they had enough doubt and responsibility that they got a search warrant and they searched Emmanuel Ninger's home. And finally in the attic, they found what they were looking for. It was the equipment to reproduce counterfeit $20 bills. Now, the equipment consisted of an easel, paintbrush, and paint. Meticulously, stroke by stroke, he was painting those counterfeit $20 bills and doing it so beautifully that you absolutely could not tell the difference in them. They were absolutely as close to perfection as you can get. Now, interestingly enough, also in the attic, they found three portraits, which later sold, the total of the three was $16,000. Now, the irony is that it took him as long to paint the $20 bill as they did a portrait that sold for over $5,000. You see, Emmanuel Linger was a thief, but the one from whom he stole the most was Emmanuel Linger. Now, why would he do that? Maybe it was ego. Maybe it was rebellion. Maybe he wanted to see if he could get by with something. And, and you know, it sounds like some of God's children, doesn't it? Want to see what we can get by with. We did it. Instead of giving God the credit for it. The second thief I'd like to talk to you about is a man named Arthur Barry. The scene is in the Roaring Twenties. Arthur Barry was a sophisticated, aristocratic jewel thief. What he did was he robbed uh, the uh, elite society homes in the Boston area. As a matter of fact, it became somewhat a sign of distinction to have been able to say, well, you know, Arthur Barry must have been here last night. I'm short a few rings and a necklace and so forth. And the ladies in society considered it somewhat of a dubious honor to have been chosen as one of the select few because the word was out. He only stole from society members who had lots of money. Well, one night in the midst of a robbery, he was uh, caught and shot three times. And miraculously, he made his escape and survived. Three years later, a uh, disgruntled woman, a jealous woman, turned him in. And he spent 18 years in prison. When he got out, he moved to a small town, became a respected citizen. They elected him the head of a veterans organization there. But you know how word does leak out. It got out that here's Arthur Barry, the famous jewel thief. Well, a newspaper reporter talked to him and said, Mr. Barry, uh, you know, uh, you are one of the most celebrated uh, felons in our country's history. He said, you stole a lot of valuable jewels from a lot of people. Do you by any chance remember the one from whom you stole the most? And without any hesitation, Arthur Barry said, the one from whom I stole the most was Arthur Barry. He said, I could have been a baron on Wall Street. I could have been a success in any business endeavor I set out to do. But instead, I chose to spend uh, my life, half of it in my adult life was spent in prison because I was not an honest man. Uh, 
You steal from yourself. Now, the third uh, thief I want to talk about is you and me. Because, you see, I'm totally convinced that we as individuals, if we do not recognize, develop, and use the ability which we have, not only are we stealing from ourselves, we're stealing from our family, from society, and from our Lord. In the 25th chapter of Matthew, you find one of the more fascinating stories. Incidentally, two-thirds of all the parables our Lord taught had to do with our physical or our financial well-being. The story of the talents is one of the best known. You know the story. Had uh, three servants, and he was getting ready to go on a long journey. He called on one and said, I'm going to give you five talents. I want you to use it while I am gone. Called on the second one and said, I'm going to give you two talents. I want you to use it while I'm gone. On the third one, he gave one talent. Well, he was gone a very long time. And when he returned, he came to the one who had five talents, and he said, well, how'd you do? He said, Lord, he said, I invested this money very carefully. I watched over it and oversaw it. And as a result, I have doubled your money, and here it is. The Lord said, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Let's have a party. Let's celebrate. Let's rejoice because of what you've been able to do. He went to the one who had uh, two talents and said, well, how'd you do? And he said, Lord, I took these uh, two talents that you gave me. And he said, I invested and I watched it. I supervised it. I followed through on it. And as a result, it has been doubled. I now have four talents, which I give to you now. Talents, of course, being uh, the wealth or the money that uh, they used in those terms, the word talent. Well, the Lord said, that's well done, now, good and faithful servant. He said, because you have done uh, so good there, let's have a little party. Let's celebrate. I'm awfully proud of you. He went to the third one and said, well, how'd you do? The one with the one talent. And he said, well, Lord, you know, I knew that you were a cruel master. I knew that you reaped where you had not sowed. I knew you harvested where you had not planted. And I was afraid that if I was careless and invested the money unwisely, I would lose it. So I buried it in a very safe and secure place. And here your money is. All of it is back. The Lord said some of the hardest words that you'll read in the New Testament when he said, Thou wicked and slothful servant. Now those are pretty hard words. You shall be cast into darkness because of this. And then he said, To him who hath, the more shall be given. But to him who hath not, even that which he seemeth to have shall be taken away. He took the one talent and gave it to the one who now had the ten talents. How many times do we not go through this process in our own lives? As this beautiful message and song was being brought to us and as T-Bob was playing the piano, I just wonder how many of us were sitting here or standing there thinking, boy, you know, I wish I could sing like that or play the piano like that. I, I wish I could whistle or I wish I could dance. I wish I could make a speech. I wish I could study Bible and teach Bible. I wish, I wish, I, oh, if I just had somebody else's talent. Lord, why didn't you give me somebody else's talent? If you did, what would you do with it? May I be so bold as to suggest not a cotton-picking thing? If you're not using the talents you have, if I don't use the talent I have, what makes me think I would use any other talent if it were given to? No, we have a tremendous responsibility to use the talents which we have. And it is so too, the more you use of what you have, the more you will be given to use. 
Remember the story of Jerry Arrowwood, the young woman who was a seamstress, who was a dishwasher, the woman who uh, later became the vice president in charge of sales training for an international multi-million dollar cosmetic company. She didn't start out with all of those talents and all of those abilities, but she used what she did have, and as she used those, then some a wonderful things started to happen. Other talents started appearing. Well, how do you develop your talents? Well, we need to remember something that's fairly basic, and that is that the input in our mind determines our outlook on life. Now, you think about it. We've talked about this before. If you plant uh, the good, optimistic, enthusiastic, scriptural thoughts in your mind, the harvest that comes out will be enthusiastic and motivational and encouraging and character-based. They'll be sound. Your input determines your outlook, and your outlook determines your output. I find it so fascinating when people come up to me and say, you know, when my attitude changed, my outlook changed, all of a sudden, though I had not learned anything new, my productivity just went off the boards. Example that you've heard me use in this series, The Day Before Vacation. Now, most people produce two or three times as much on the day before vacation than they do in a normal day. And the reason is the night before they do some planning, they accept the responsibility, they make the commitment to get it done, they get there promptly, even a little early the next morning, they don't wait around, they get real busy, they finish one test, they move to the other, they don't work any harder, they just work more consistently and more smarter. Why? Because they're outlook has changed so their outlook determines their output and the output goes up dramatically and the output determines your future. Now that's a long-winded way and a roundabout way to saying that yes there is something you can do. When you develop the talents you have, when you accept the responsibility, Barbara Touchman, two-time Pulitzer Prize winner, uh, said the number one need in our society today are people who will accept responsibility for what they do, not only in their personal life, but in their family and in their business world. We need to get out of the blame game. You know, a lot of people uh, who are not as far along as they would like to be say it's his fault or her fault or their fault. But we need to always remember that any time we got the finger of blame pointed that away, there are three times as many fingers pointed right back this away. But blaming others is not new. It started in the Garden of Eden. You surely remember the story. God put Adam and Eve there and said, hey, the whole deal is yours. This is direct verbatim King James quote. The whole deal is yours. You can have everything here. Now, except there's one tree right in the middle of the garden that's got some fruit on it. You can't eat it. They just don't touch it. Well, you know what happened. Uh, you know, anything that's forbidden, we think we all got to give it a try at any rate. It's amazing, isn't it, you know, we see on television where we've got a satellite up there 17 million miles away, and we believe it. Somebody puts up a wet paint sign, and we've got to test it to make certain that, uh, you know, I mean, you know how people are. They just, they just are. Well, Adam and Eve, you know, they uh, ate the fruit. That evening, God came walking in the garden, and he said, Adam, where are you? Now, God knew where Adam was. But he wanted Adam to speak up. He said, over here, Lord. Adam, did you eat that fruit? Now, God already knew the answer to that, but he wanted man to confess. Adam, did you eat that fruit? And, you know, Adam then, of course, did the manly thing. He said, Lord, let me tell you about that woman. <laughs> 
And the Lord said, Eve, did you eat that fruit? Well, Eve kept the ball rolling, you know. She said, Lord, let me tell you about that snake. And, of course, snake didn't have a leg to stand on. Now, for you Bible students, I know that I don't have a theological leg to stand on with that statement. But neither do you have a leg to stand on, nor do I have a leg to stand on when we continue to blame other people for our difficulties. You see, the reality is the choices we make are so incredibly important. We need not only to watch the input in our mind so the outlook is going to be right, but we need to use all of the resources at our disposal. Now, a lot of people like to think they do. I like to think I do most of the time, but do we really? I love the story of the little boy who uh, was out in the backyard trying to build a fort and had a particularly heavy log he was trying to move into place. And his father came in and watched his son, uh, about seven or eight years old. He was really straining, you know. And uh, the father said, son, you need to use all of your resources. And the little boy said, daddy, I'm trying hard as I can. And uh, he tried again. The father said, son, you need to use all of your resources. And the little boy said, daddy, I'm doing the best I can. And uh, his daddy said, no, son, you're not using all of your resources. You haven't asked me to help. Do we ask our heavenly father for help? And then when he gives it, do we say thank you. The ultimate resource that we have at our disposal is Jesus Christ. Not just at Christmas time. I love to quote Mary Crowley. She says, Christ is not a way to do certain things, but a certain way to do all things. And once we recognize that resource and call on our Heavenly Father, asking for wisdom. You see, we make a lot of bad decisions. And the knowledge, you see, there's so much difference in information, knowledge, and wisdom. You get information out of the daily newspapers and magazines. You get knowledge out of good books, encyclopedias, and seminars. But wisdom is from God. Now, we've got more knowledge today than ever before in the history of man. I am told that our knowledge doubles every two years now. We know more than ever before. And I believe I could build a good case, or anybody who reads the daily paper could build a pretty good case, that we got more problems in the world today than ever before. Knowledge is not going to be the solution to the major problems in life, though certainly it will be a big help in some of the problems. Well, what is the resource that we need to look for? We need to look to wisdom. Think about how you are using your time this week. Are you being as productive as you can be? Until next week, this is Blake Lindsay, encouraging you to live your life to the fullest. Ziggler. Ziggler. Inspiring true performance.